Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I have a whole bunch of cool stuff to talk about, and later on I'm going to go over the new Patreon giveaway idea, because I feel like this is going to work out better for everybody, and I'm pretty excited to share it. So stay tuned for that later, but let's jump right into the news. First up, my buddy Carsey, SDA, the Twitch streamer, was at Games Done Quick last week, and he kicked some major ass. Uh, I was absolutely loving seeing his Resident Evil speedruns pop up on different publications. Uh, when I first saw it on Kotaku, I was just like a little fanboy, like, oh my god, I know that guy! <laughs> like, I was very excited and very, very happy for him, and I hope to have him on as a guest on the podcast soon, because I really just want to pick his brain on speedrunning and uh, Resident Evil and, and really just get into how that stuff works, because I think a lot of us who are fans of, of of all this stuff are really also just fans of people who are masters of their craft, if you will. And uh, I think I get just as much enjoyment listening to somebody talk about a speedrun as I do like a, a master woodworker talking about how they make different creations. So uh, hopefully I'll have him on soon, and if you guys want to check out the excitement, all the links are down below. And, uh, you know... Just big shout out to him because uh, he really deserves it. Good dude, and I'm glad he got the all of the press that he deserved. Smoke Monster just released a whole bunch of updates to his ROM packs, as well as posted a bunch of MSU One audio revisions. Now, I actually wanted to have a video done by this podcast that shows how to use the new updates to update the last versions of ROM packs, but I just haven't gotten a chance to get around to that. So I guess this is a race to see who can get that video out first. Me or Smoke Monster himself, but I'll keep everybody updated every time he has updates, and hopefully he'll post a video or two of his own soon. Darksoft just posted an interest check for a CPS2 communication tournament battles. And once again, this was something that Smoke Monster sent over to me, and I really had no idea what it was. I'm always trying to be honest about that. So of course, I texted Arturo Sabin from Team Spooky, uh, and he got back to me right away and explained that these are add-on PCB for CPS2 kits that allow multiplayer tournament battles, uh, which sounds awesome to me. So I guess if um, if you are interested, please, uh, you have to sign up for the forum, but it's free, of course. Uh, and then he foresees a price of about $50 per PCB. But if you own multiple arcades like this, uh, with places such as iFix Arcade in Brooklyn, this seems like something that's kind of a must-have, because then you could link them all together and actually have a big tournament battle. So um, if you have any intent of doing any of these things in the future, definitely check this out and see if this is something you'd be interested in, because like so many of this are, are different arcade stuff, um, these boards are becoming rarer and expensive to fix, and just being able to have a replacement like this definitely Firebrand X is added again, but this time it's not with Framemeister profiles or even with color palettes. He's gone to the dark side and started to make hardware himself. Uh, he actually made a SNES audio board that was based off of Peter's um, Bordy's original design, but this also includes the ability to have just an RCA optical audio out, the Postlink audio, I think. So it's not the digital port, it's the port that looks just like a composite video but sends digital audio. And the purpose of this would be if you had a fat SNES that you wanted to do an audio mod to, you could actually just remove the RF adapter and put this port in its place, essentially being a no-cut digital audio mod. So if you have a SNES Mini, you might want to just use the original board or whichever new update that Firebrand X had been working at, because you're going to have to cut it anyway. But with this one, I think it's the perfect addition to that SNES, because you guys know I'm getting all freaky about never cutting plastic anymore. 
But uh, it's still in a beta revision. I think he has his second revisions um, being mailed to him now. Uh, we're all going to test those together, and then hopefully they'll be up for sale fairly soon afterwards. Um, I'm not sure where, but I'll keep everybody updated, because I am a massive fan of that SNES digital audio mod. I think at worst, it um, it's equal to the analog audio, but you never have to worry about a buzz, especially on bright screens. But uh, depending on your stereo, uh, at best, you could hear a big difference. So I guess the best example is when I had just two desktop studio monitors with both analog and optical inputs, and they were sitting, you know, right next to my screen. Um, the only difference I could really hear is that there was zero buzz with digital audio. But when I hooked it into a full surround sound system, you could totally tell a difference. So I'll keep everybody updated to his progress, but uh, a lot of thanks to Bordy for donating the original design as open source. Thanks to Firebrand X for uh, improving upon that design and tweaking it himself, and hopefully we'll all get to enjoy it soon. This one kind of made me smile in a sarcastic way. Linksys has just introduced the first router that prioritizes Xbox One gaming, and it uses something they're calling a killer prioritization engine. So anybody, uh, any IT nerds watching this is giggling the same way I did when I heard this because you've been able to do um, all of this kind of network prioritization on routers for a long time. Um, maybe if you had a basic consumer grade one, you could put the open source router firmware on there. Uh, for any of the more advanced ones, you could already do that. So while I do like the fact that there's now a, a very easy consumer grade version of this you basically i've seen these gaming routers before you log in and then you click on enhance for gaming and it just sure that it um like if somebody i guess the best example is if you're gaming and you're in the middle of a session and you can't have any any network lag and somebody else in your house is you know downloading a torrent and then somebody else in your house is watching a movie on netflix then this makes sure that the priority of the bandwidth always goes to gaming so from that perspective, it's great, and a lot of these routers do a very good job of that. But I do love when they come out with the, the buzzwords and stuff and make it seem like this is the first time your Xbox could be prioritized. Us nerds have been doing that since the days of the original Xbox. But thought I'd pass that along, both because it might be handy and uh, fellow IT nerds are giggling at this right now. Forty just released the first version of his N64 RGB on-screen display firmware all these acronyms in a row uh, but basically it's the first revision of his firmware that allows for the full on-screen display for his board so rather than use button combos you would actually just bring up this menu and then select the changes there i believe at the time of recording this it's only a hello world proof of concept so it brings up the menu but the changes don't do anything but at the very least he's on the way to making this um a functional addition, and as always, everything's up on his GitHub for sharing with uh, whoever wants to contribute. So it's very cool because I really like the on-screen displays, and now that you get to have one with the RGB version instead of just the Ultra HDMI, I think it's pretty awesome. And speaking of the Ultra HDMI, Marshall just uploaded the version 1.07 firmware that adds the ability to change the amount of Gamma Boost as well as preset slots. So I think that's the one I'm more excited about because this way you could kind of tweak each setting the way you want it. And I guess the best example would be um, I like things either super sharp 
or very much with the CRT filters on them. So depending on the game I'm playing, or I guess even the mood I'm in, and definitely the TV I'm on, sometimes having scan lines in the CRT bloom looks great, and other times I just want the sharp pixel look. So now I could completely set my settings the way they want, label them, and have them in different preset slots. Hopefully, eventually, you'd be able to add something like maybe have the presets on an SD card in one of the ROM carts, so you could have things like the Firebrand X profiles, but just for the Ultra HDMI. But either way, I think it's a great addition. Um, also, uh, has anybody heard from Marshall lately? Because I thought I was on his mailing list, but I didn't get an email about this. And in fact, the only place on the internet I could find information was RGB32E's blog. Um, which, you know, he did a great job showing the different options and stuff, so thanks for posting. But I was just kind of curious why I hadn't heard about that from anywhere else. Um, is Marshall mad at me and took me off his list? Is Marshall RGB32E fucking with all of us? Uh, but uh, yeah, just uh, if anybody's heard from him, let me know, because uh, I'd certainly want to make sure that everything's cool, and uh, I would always love to be kept in the loop for things like this, so that I make sure not to miss out on telling all of you guys about it. Hypergen just announced the Ultra Game Boy, which is a Game Boy with an aluminum case and a backlit screen, as well as hardware for chiptunes built in, as well as stereo audio. So uh, I, this is very promising. Um, when I had spoken to Chris Galizzi, one of the main pro product development managers, he had said that they were looking into more higher-end products. Um, and with the target price range of just under $100, this might be it. Now, the Game Boy has been around long enough and it's been well enough documented that there might actually be a chance that they could pull off a good clone console here. Hopefully they won't rely on any kind of software emulation or any kind of laggy things inside, but uh, as soon as it comes out, I definitely want to try it and put it head-to-head -head with an original Game Boy, because if this is actually a really good hardware solution to play Game Boy and maybe even Game Boy Color games on, then this might be a great opportunity for all of us. Galron on the Crix forums has posted a list of Game Boy Color built-in palette games. So it's a little confusing to explain, but basically when the Game Boy Color came out, and even the Super Game Boy, uh, Nintendo themselves had created specific palettes for certain Game Boy games that didn't have color, obviously. So when you plug these games into these color and uh, color accessible devices, rather than just default to whatever the basics are, they actually have specific palettes tailored to that game. Um, and he'd actually gone through and verified and found 95 games that the chip on the Game Boy Color actually reads the ROM and uses with those newer colors. So uh, I love stuff like this, and this is the type of thing that I really thought that the my website wiki, which is still sort of in progress, I thought that would have been perfect for because this is a really great community effort that he'd done most of the work, but he's inviting other people to help and kind of give their opinions. And hopefully someday soon I'll be able to actually then have a wiki page with this topic underneath so that there's a solid wiki containing this information, not just people talking about it. Uh, not to discourage Galron's work, of course. I think that's pretty awesome. But uh, anybody that's interested, head over to the Crix forum. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't know what, what's up with Cricks, but uh, maybe Renee's article shook him or something, but he has a couple of people that act like 13-year-old boys as the mods on that site now, so it's really taken away the fun of reading the posts on there. Uh, it's, some of the, his mods are very quick to be fanboyish and just destroy anybody that even wants to talk about something opposing, so it's really sad because that was one of the forums that I didn't mind going through and participating in, but... 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but either way, good work for Galron. Hopefully I'll have a place to store this stuff permanently soon. I'm talking to somebody who might actually go through with the idea of making it a not-for-profit wiki that lasts forever. But fingers crossed on all that stuff, and thanks to Galron for doing all this work. Someone recently posted their project, the Open Source Sync Stripper, so the OSSS. These acronyms are getting harder. Uh, and it's essentially a SCART to BNC converter board that's designed for people that use Xtron crosspoints because they require C-Sync going in. You can't use Luma or composite video. So with this board, you could, of course, just make it a jumper, or you could add the sync stripper circuit to it to actually strip out uh, and send correct uh, C-Sync to the cross point. So the pictures are up for people that uh, might not be able to understand what I'm trying to verbalize with this. But I think it's a great idea, and I think it's something that uh, that might help people with these bigger setups. Um, if you look in the pictures of how he has it done, the, my only uh, my only comment or criticism to that would be you're going to want to keep the BNC cables as short as possible, because essentially all you're doing with this is just extending the length of an analog video cable. But I think it's great. I think it reminds me very much of network switch closets so that you would have one rack with the, the SCART uh, female ports on it, which is basically just jumpers then to the Xtron crosspoint. But very, very cool and very awesome that he would just open source this project and donate it to everybody. So thank you very much for the hard work. And if anybody has a crosspoint and they're looking for stuff like this, uh, this might actually be the perfect solution for you. Retrobit officially talked about their partnership with Sega, um, and it was everything that we'd expected, and I'm not getting my hopes up based on everything else that I've seen. Uh, it seems like they're doing wireless and wired controllers that are using the original Sega style and shape, which is great. Um, it looks like they're, have, they're releasing their own Dreamcast box, which may or may not be good. I'm actually kind of interested to try it. They have a Genesis S-Video cable which either means that that's an RGB to S-video converter inside a cable powered by the Genesis 5-volt pin, or it's a composite video cable that splits Y and C right at the console end, uh, which is bullshit. I mean, you could argue that a big problem with composite video is the length of the wire and how all of the information's together across that one wire, so you might theoretically be able to get a little bit better of an image using that over just composite video, but... Meh, we're all too smart for that crap. Um, and now there's also a rumor that Sega and Retrobit might be working together on a secret retro console. It just sounds to me like uh, some executive somewhere went, hey, retro is popular again? Go do that. Make us some money. So, I don't know. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that this all of this stuff is awesome and that everybody's pointing their fingers at me going, see, they did a great job. I really hope so, but just based on the Retrobit stuff I've seen in the past, I have zero hopes for any of this. And speaking of clone consoles, Hyperkin just uh, showed an HDMI Genesis that's pretty much exactly like their HDMI NES and their HDMI Super Nintendo. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that based on the two consoles that Hyperkin did that I thoroughly tested, uh, it's going to be one of their basic Genesis on a chips through uh, an upscaler that processes 240p as 480i and adds at least two frames of lag, which is useless to most of us. Um, you know, there's always, as I said in both of those other reviews, there's definitely a time and a place for consoles like this, and I could even see a few scenarios where I would find them very helpful, but as far as sitting down and getting a great experience, 
it's not it. So uh, somebody's going to be sending me another uh, one of those all-in-one consoles, and I'll give that a test as well. And I'll just I'll keep my eyes open for clone consoles that might actually be worth the money as like a second or a spare or something to hold you off until you could save up for one of the better ones. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I mean I'm not. I'm not saving any hopes for any good clone consoles, other than, of course, anything Kevtris does, because I still am a massive and huge fan of the Analog NT Mini, and I can't wait to try the Super NT. Someone just posted wall mount brackets for the G-Comp switch and the G-SCART switch uh, that are basically just 3D printed little brackets that slide right in. You unbolt the bolt, put it through this one, and then you could use these to mount it to a wall or pretty much anything else. Um, he shared the design up on Thingverse, so if you have a G-SCART or a G-Comp switch that you need mounted somewhere, this seems to be the perfect thing. So uh, once again, thank you to everybody who donates your designs to the community, because you know if you want to hold on to them and sell them, I'm, I'm behind you 100%. But if it's not something that you're going to sell, keep sharing it, because we all benefit from it. And you know even if only a handful of people need this, you've solved a problem for somebody else, so we're all super excited. Ben Venn has just announced that he's starting to work on a Game Boy printer emulator. So rather than print things out, when you hit print, it'll go to an SD card. And I just, I love neat things like this. Um, I really liked uh, Furtech's prototype of his uh, Game Boy camera that saves to an SD card. He actually said he was going to sell me one, and then I never heard back. So that's two in a row that Furtech said I could buy something off of him and then stop responding to me. Uh, so I don't know if any of you guys are friends with him. Let him know that I'm still interested, and uh, I don't know if I pissed him off or something, but who knows? Uh, but yeah, uh, I would really love to interview Ben Venn and talk to him about all of the crazy stuff he's been building for the Game Boy. So I'll keep trying and hopefully get him on soon one day. Lotharek just announced a 5 to 1 SCART switch. So it's just 5 inputs and 1 output for about 110 US dollars, 90 euros at the moment. Um, and I think he's starting to ship within three or four weeks. I had tested his previous Switch, uh, and regardless of whatever drama happened before it was uh, released, I had found some weird issues with it. And the one thing that, that really kind of disturbed me was a friend of mine bought one, um, and when his whole system was off, so no consoles were on, he had just had his monitor on and the Switch on, um, he was getting these crazy diagonal lines across the screen, and it was only when the original Hydra was plugged in. So, of course, you know, everybody, or nobody's perfect. Any run of production, there's going to be one or two that might be bad. I'm not saying they're all bad. I just, uh, I'm $110 for a Switch with one output, Then the original one that I tested gave me some issues. Um, I would approach this with caution. Uh, it's still kind of expensive, and... You can get, like, the Otaku Switch is much cheaper, and uh, it only supports one output at a time, although it does have RCA and SCART. It's about half the price. And while I did I did test the Otaku Switch, I didn't make a video because it, it wasn't an in-depth test. The Otaku Switch was basically... Um, I powered a bunch of consoles on at the same time and did comparison tests where I zoomed in, you know, a hundred times. And it, I didn't notice any difference. It seemed okay. But what I didn't do is test a bunch of consoles with composite video S-Sync, not C-Sync. All of them were C-Sync. Um, I didn't test with an oscilloscope. There was a lot of other things. I could have tested with the long run of wire rather than just the normal two feet into the capture card. So, 
you know, I didn't want to make a video on that yet. I just, uh, I mean, I'm sorry to be negative about this, because I'm usually so excited whenever there's a new retro gaming product, but $110 for a 5 to 1 Switch, um, when the previous one gave me issues where you could go get an Otaku Switch for half the price, also one output, but six inputs, and you could even have RCA ports as the input as well, which means if you're going to a PVM, you could have three RGB and, uh, you know, and three component video, and then just use the switch that way, and whenever you switch between the two formats, you just press the button on the PVM toggle. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to be negative about this one. Usually I like to be all happy, but this just seems like a product that I don't see where it fits in. It's not a really high-end thing with lots of inputs, uh, and there's cheaper, uh, there's cheaper low-end solutions that work perfectly fine, I think. So, I mean, uh, I don't know, I guess the, make the decisions yourself and let me know what you think. The complete piece of shit that was involved in that Kansas City swatting death is in jail, and he's looking from 1 to 10 years, which does not seem like a fitting punishment at all. I mean, somebody died, and this dude only is getting 1 to 10 years? Um, it's a repeat offender. The guy's done stuff like this before, although this is the first time anybody got hurt, but... I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I talk very often about consequences for your actions and how people act uh, really shitty on the internet when they're, they never have to face the people that they're talking to. But this is the extreme other side of it. This is exactly why I'm always bitching about it is because complete pieces of shit like this guy, I mean, he killed somebody and he never even had to be a part of it, never had to look at it. Uh, so I just, I hope this guy goes to jail for a very long time, and I hope he gets his due punishment in jail, because this isn't somebody who shoplifted and was at the wrong place at the wrong time. This is somebody who intentionally did something like this multiple times. So it's just, it's sad, and it happens a lot in the gaming community for whatever reason, but this is why I always tell people, you know, always picture yourself in front of somebody before you say that shitty thing on the internet. And uh, I guess now you always you also have to think, before you say that shitty thing, who's on the other side? Is it a complete psychopath that's willing to get you killed just because he thinks it's funny? But, I don't know. Fuck these people. And in this week's edition of Beat It 2018, I had finished Samus Returns. So, uh, I'm actually... I happen to already be most of the way through that. Uh, then I moved over to playing Castlevania and went back. So, I certainly didn't just beat it in a week or anything, but... Overall, I really liked it, and I think my biggest complaint only is just that I don't enjoy playing on handhelds anymore, which I know is a really stupid thing to say, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to flame me in the comments, which is fine. It just, um, uh, for whatever reason, I've just gotten so used to sitting down and, and either chilling out in front of my big TV or my nice RGB monitor and just enjoying it that way, and I just don't like having this little thing in front of me. I just, I don't think I'm as immersed in the experience, even with headphones on, because the soundtrack was great in that game, but, um, so maybe there'll be a 3DS TV out mod soon enough, so I'll be able to plug that into an RGB monitor. That would be incredible, especially if I could use a widescreen BVM so I could display the whole top screen on that. But as far as the game itself goes, I hated that defensive move, that counterattack sweep thing. Uh, I just thought it was not very intuitive at all. Um, and I think when you're holding a controller, looking at a screen, it's easy to position your hand, easier to position your hands in a way to do that. But if you're propping the screen up to be able to see it, your thumb might not always be in that place where you could instantly counter a move. So I found that to be pretty tricky. And I just uh, some of the boss battles to me 
you know, I guess I eventually learned their pattern and beat them, but I don't know why. It just wasn't as enjoyable as other side-scrolling games. But as far as Metroid games go, it's awesome. I'm not taking away from that. I just, uh, I have recently played through the original Metroid 2 and loved it. I actually used a Super Game Boy through an RGB modded SNES Mini on a monitor. And of course, another Metroid 2 remake. I am just such a gigantic, massive fan of that game. Um, I plan on replaying it again, all on an RGB monitor. And I'm actually going to try to get that set up. I'm going to try to get widescreen 240p so I could play through it on my BVM. But overall, I thought it was a great game. I just, I'm not sure if I would ever replay it on the handheld. Maybe if there's a great TV mod, I'll go back and revisit it, but that's just my thoughts. So uh, I don't think I'll be having a, another Beat It 2018 for at least a few more weeks because I haven't even started another game. But I do want to take the SNES 30 Pro gamepad, which is still in the box. I haven't even opened it. Uh, I do want to play through Axiom Verge for the Switch on this. I actually had seen that Beast had just done the same thing, which means he's probably going to have done a much better job at all that, so I'll just play it and not stream it. But uh, I'm interested to see how the experience differs with a controller that uh, is more familiar to me. Um, and it's been a year and a half or so since I've played it, so maybe I get to, maybe it's long enough so I can see it with fresh eyes. But the last time I played Axiom Verge, I loved it. So I guess I'll give my opinions on that whenever I eventually beat that next time. Now on to the Patreon giveaway. So I'm changing things up a little bit, and I really feel like it's for the better. Um, I put a, a vote up on the Patreon page, and I feel like a lot of people are behind me on this one. But I was just really... Uh, I felt bad because a lot of the giveaways uh, turned out to be things that people already had. So then I had to do another drawing and stuff like that. And I want it to be more fun than anything else. You know, number one, I want it to be a way that, to show you guys how much I appreciate you. But I do want it to be fun for everybody. So uh, what I've decided to do is at the end of each month, I'll announce the giveaway. The day that the podcast airs, I'll also put up a page on Patreon. And if you're into it, all you have to do is paste down in the Patreon page, not in YouTube. And within about a week, so I would say if the podcast airs on Wednesday by the end of the weekend, by Sunday night, um, you know, I'll, I'll make it the cutoff. And then out of everybody that posted below, then I'll put that in the spin wheel and do the drawing the next week. So what that means is as long as you listen to the weekly podcast, not much changes. You still get it. Uh, you still just listen to it here, especially if you're one of the, the many, many people that just listens to it in your car on the way to work. You don't have to worry about going out of your way. You could just be like, oh, cool giveaway, but I already have one. Or you could be like, yeah, I really want that. So go log into the Patreon app on your phone or something, not while driving. But um, so uh, I figure that's a good way to go about all of this. And uh, let's give it a try for a few weeks and see what happens. But because last month, the person who, uh, who won the giveaway had already had one. Uh, this month, once again, is the Game Boy Advance uh, shoulder strap, not fanny pack, as well as Dark Riders uh, modded Game Boy Advance backlit screen. Uh, this is the one that has two different voltage selections on it, so you have two different brightnesses. It's a brand new screen with glass on it. I haven't even taken the plastic off. Um, and it's, I mean, it's really great quality. Uh, I love these things. So for anybody that's interested, um, please post on the Patreon page that will be live the moment this podcast goes live. 
and then next week I'll do the drawing. So hopefully this will work out for everybody, uh, and it'll make it easier and more fun. And I do like the thought of, of doing the announcement one week and the drawing next week, both because it gives people plenty of time, and also, you know, in the, in the internet age of everything's instant, it's kind of neat to still have a drawing and something to wait and hope for, especially if it's something you've really wanted, like maybe somebody who wants a backlit Game Boy Advance. So thank you for Dark Rider for donating this, and thank you very much to the person who is honest uh, and didn't uh, didn't take a Game Boy Advance backlight uh, because he already owned one. And in fact, he actually makes his own. So if you live in Israel and want a backlight Game Boy Advance, definitely contact me and I'll put you in touch with this guy. Now onto the Q&As. I just want to start out by saying thank you to everybody who made suggestions on what Castlevania game I should be playing next. Um, I wrote all of them down, and I'll take them all into consideration, and I'll let everybody know when I eventually beat one of those games, or if I decide not to. (laughs) Next, I want to also thank everybody that pointed out the mistake that I made last week. Um, G-Sync only works over DisplayPort with NVIDIA devices that support it. So when I said there was a G-Sync monitor, maybe it would work better with the OSSC. Uh, I had gotten it wrong. I was thinking of FreeSync. So, sorry, screwed that one up. A whole bunch of people responded to that Japanese not-for-resale book being put out, and it actually seemed more interesting than I thought. According to the people that had helped translate it for me, it's a guide to games from many different systems that hadn't been put out for sale. So uh, industry demos, competition prizes, um, or things designed for very specific markets, kind of like the blockbuster competition cards, Nintendo World Champions, stuff like that. So that is actually even more interesting than I thought. So if anybody picks one up, definitely let me know what you think of it. Uh, I believe it's not going to be released for, I think it's just for pre-order now. So otherwise I would have asked for scans or something. But um, I like stuff like that. It's kind of neat. It's like a glimpse into the history that never was. Hijuice commented last week that that 65-inch 4K gaming monitor is also being released by Asus. So it seems that that panel, probably an AUO panel, was designed specifically for gaming, or maybe they had a run of production that they found was low lag or something, and different companies are uh, are actually going to be making their own version. And that's how most panels are made. Um, most of those TVs that you see, especially the cheaper ones, there's actually a panel manufacturer in uh, often Taiwan or Korea, and then those panels are just sent to other companies who put their own plastic molds and stuff on them. And sometimes they don't even change the molds, they just change like the color and the emblem and stuff like that. But So, I mean, I guess that's probably better, because if it was just NVIDIA working on that one project, they might not be able to get the volumes that are needed to do something that big of a scope. But with other companies doing it too, I guess we'll see. But uh, I'm sure it'll be expensive, but I'm still kind of interested to see how it's going to look. Kyle Troutman asked, is there any way to play modern PC games on a CRT? Um, Maybe I'm misunderstanding the question, but it's actually very easy to play PC games on a CRT. So I guess the number one thing would be uh, if you have a, a CRT PC monitor with a VGA input, then you could just simply either use the VGA port or use an HDMI to VGA converter. Those are no lag because it doesn't change the video at all. It just kind of changes the signal from digital to analog. You could just use one of those and then force your video card into a resolution that the monitor accepts. 
Um, you could force 480p and use a downscaler, although those, those are very, very uh, rare and expensive nowadays. But if you wanted to do 240p, you could just set your computer to 480p, or actually anything to 480p and downscale it. Um, and for modern consoles, I mean, you could just get a PS3 or a Wii U and use component video cables directly into many TVs. I would recommend trying to stick with progressive scan, but if you really wanted, you could view it in 480i. But overall, it's actually very straightforward, and if you want, check out that video I did of playing the new Sonic game on old monitors, because it, uh, it should be as easy as shown in there. But uh, I guess if you've never done it before, it might not make sense, but just that's one of those things where the money in, that you need to invest to pick up a VGA monitor and a very cheap HDMI to VGA converter, uh, I mean, it's cheap enough where I would just say buy it and keep messing with it and, and uh, see what you find. Next, Sega J. Shirua, I'm sorry, I got nothing there, my friend, uh, asked what happened with part two of the Raspberry Pi video. Unfortunately, that seems to have gone the same way as the Dreamcast part two, my new revisions of what is RGB, and all of the other stuff I really wanted to work on. Uh, things have just been insane the past few months, and I'm really just trying to get back on my feet, and uh, I'll get to these part twos eventually, but I would just say they're all a very long way off. Um, hopefully one day I'd be able to free up more time and resources to do it, get a real green screen and everything, but uh, it's just not looking like any of that is going to happen in the short term, but it is still on the radar. Sorry. There was a lot of great posts in the comments about where to get things 3D printed, but Andrew Klinger posted something that I didn't even know about. There's something called 3dhubs.com that's a community of people with 3D printers. So I imagine it's like Fiverr or Guru.com, but with people with 3D printers. So obviously, you know, you try to meet somebody that does a good job and continue to use them. And, you know, it's hit or miss. Some people have better printers than others and just like anything else, I guess. But I thought that was really awesome. And I also thought it was a great way for people who bought 3D printers for their own projects to make a few bucks back from that while also helping somebody else. So definitely check it out if you're interested. This last one's way off topic, but I saw it last week, and for whatever reason, uh, the file got deleted before I made the video. So Ian Parker asked uh, what kind of gear I'm playing for my guitar stuff. Uh, so I actually, it's kind of a funny question because for such a huge tech nerd, my whole life I played digital amps and I always was just trying to find the best way to dial in my sound. And I'm now running an EVH5153 combo amp, 2x12, and the first time I bought one of these, I plugged my guitar in, I set the knobs the way I would normally like them, hit a chord, and just went, whoa. Like, that was the sound I've been working to get my whole life with nothing else plugged in. So that's definitely the one I'm using now. Uh, I'm actually, that's the one I'm selling because I, I still can't really play guitar because of my back. But whatever, I'll get, uh, that's next on the list of things to fix. But previously, I used the Laney Ironheart, the IRT-150, uh, uh, full half stack, not the combo amp. And I thought that was amazing, and I loved the sound, but I found that I needed a Maxon 808 pedal along with it to really get that full rhythm metal guitar sound that I love. Because as much as I, I do love playing all types of music, and I played lead guitar in my last band, heavy metal rhythm guitar is like my thing. That's where my soul is. Those big epic riffs like my friends from Answer Infinity do. I mean, check this shit out. See, 
told you. Those guys are awesome. But uh, as far as that goes, I mean, I've also played Marshall TCL amps. Basically, tube amps are by far the way to go for the music I play. Um, and really, the only other thing I would suggest is just uh, getting an ISP decimator, which, uh, or I guess any noise gate, but that one's my favorite. And that's something that'll be perfect for anybody that uses any kind of distortion at all, because what that does is, uh, like any noise gate, if there isn't enough sound coming down the cable, it just shuts off the sound. So there's many songs that I've played or solos that I've played that have lots of stops in it. And if there's distortion, you do get feedback. I've, I mean, I've played live before. I play, the show I played at Webster Hall, every one song, the whole verse was stopped in it. So like triplets stops, triplets stops. And I'd have to, uh, depending on the part of the song, either hit my, um, uh, hit the tuner to shut off my guitar or roll the volume knob down or else it would feed back between every, every hit. So those are great for anybody that has distortion at all. I mean, even country music, doesn't matter. If you're playing a solo with reverb and distortion in it, one of those would be a massive help. And for guitars, though, I mean, everything I play is custom. I'm such a picky bastard. If you think I'm picky with how my RGB monitor is set up, it's just as bad with guitars. So I do have um, the Dave Mustaine Dean with the Rust in Peace logo on it. I purposely bought a beat-up one so I wouldn't feel bad completely gutting it. So I have custom on pickups. Uh, and the ones I wanted were ones that were good for recording because I like to double my parts. So I got it uh, that really they pick up everything so every little um you know every nuance that i play they pick up whereas for live i would want a more generic thicker pickup that sounds heavier but also masks all the little stuff so um yeah, and i also on that guitar the the frets are grinded down i mean there's so many little changes i did to that thing so uh I, as far as guitars go i mean it's whatever i, I remake everything to fit my hands that's why if you saw online when I was selling all those guitar parts, which almost all are sold, I had made my own guitars for a very long time. Not like a luthier or anything, but I would buy the parts, bolt them up, find the necks that matched, shim them properly, and uh, I've had, I actually had better luck with those than I, even though I'm not good at that, I still had better luck doing it that way than trying to go to a store and find one that fit me. So I'm not just retro gaming crazy, I'm uh, guitar crazy too. What can I say? But neat question, and sorry for the off-topic thing. I just figured uh, change it up, and you know, hopefully, if this bored you, you could just skip to the next question. Well, that's it for this week. Before I go, I definitely want to mention the interview I did with Luke from Console Five. Uh, really nice guy, fun interview, and uh, just a great resource for things like capacitor kits, rare parts for consoles, and all of the information that he posts for free as well. So, if uh, I'm sure almost everybody listening to this knows what Console Five is, but if you don't, maybe just go and poke around. And it's not just a store; it has a lot of information about consoles on there. And uh, Luke really. He cares about all of this stuff, I think, just as much as any of the rest of us in this community. So, um, you know, definitely support his store and check out the interview if you're interested. That's pretty much it. So uh, I guess next week I will be back after choosing the winner of the Patreon giveaway. So don't forget, if you're a Patreon subscriber and you want a backlit Game Boy Advance, post on the Patreon page, not the YouTube page. And uh, I guess that's pretty much it. So thank you, everybody, for support, especially all the Patreons. And I'll see you guys next week.